Hi, everybody. This is Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hello. Hi there. Welcome to season three. Welcome to se- I can't believe it already. That's amazing, right? So we've been doing the podcast for two years now, and we always start our seasons with the fall. So it's September, and here we are. Today on the show, we are going to tackle the discussion, a discussion of mental health representation in horror films in particular. And I happen to know, and I believe you know too as Kathy, is that this topic is pretty controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, it, people get into some trouble, <laughs> basically, yeah. on this topic. And, and, with, and with good reason, it's, it's a complicated topic. Uh, it's some, you know, one side of it is basically it's just fiction and get over it. And the other end of the spectrum is you know, don't marginalize uh, people with mental illness in the movies uh, because that changes how we treat them. Right. And I I understand bits and pieces of both sides of that, but I also want to make sure that we talk right out of the gate about how, one, we both love horror. Mm-hmm. We both love horror films. I don't get offended particularly easily. Mm-hmm. I... I want them to try to tackle all the things. Sometimes it's successful. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes I'm annoyed by it. Sometimes I'm not just like with all film genres. Yep. But I also, but I think that the thing that we both understand that underlies that is that we understand it's fiction. Right. However, I don't believe that it being fiction is an excuse to just do whatever you want. I believe that it's, fiction we understand that fiction influences culture and then culture influences how we treat marginalized people and how they're represented in movies and films and and tv and books etc influences how curious people are about a particular group of people's experience and then if we're curious about their experience then we are more motivated to help them and we treat them differently Mm -hmm. so they're so in that way, how we represent the mentally ill in films and TV is important to all of us. And it's important certainly to people with mental health issues because it influences the culture. So I just want to throw that out there, like a general point of view that I understand all the sides of it, I think. I don't understand, of course, your particular opinion listener, but I very much want to explore that today. So the other distinction I would love to make is that on this show, we talk a lot of mental illness and mental health, obviously, within true crime psychology, within horror flicks, within other media. And we also talk a lot of diagnosis. We talk a lot of um, symptom qualities. And I'd like to point out that on many of our true crime shows, not all, some of them we address both, but a lot of it is access to. Mm-hmm. So I just want to make a distinction for the people that are listening that we talk a lot about access to. And by access to, I mean, it's like an old standard of diagnosis, but I think it's still a lot of the ways we look at it, even though there is a new DSM out now and there's a different way of of talking about diagnosis. What I will say is this is an easy way to discuss diagnosis, I think, in this context, is that we talk a lot of personality disorders. Mm -hmm. 
And of course, that is mental illness. But we don't talk a lot about access one disorders. And I believe that the general public mixes those two things. Mm, Very much. And so an example of access one, again, I'm for you psychology pros, I am totally, I know that this is the old standard of diagnosing, but it's an easy way to explain it. And it was an easier way to explain it. Access one is schizophrenia. A paranoid schizophrenic, perhaps. Access two is narcissistic personality disorder. Mm-hmm. So that's a really clear distinction, and they're two very different things. However, our society at large might very much confuse a paranoid schizophrenic with someone who has either antisocial personality, narcissistic personality. Well, and just to even maybe take that one step further is paying attention to there's difference there's a difference between mental illness and a mental disorder and we we talk about it under the umbrella of mental health and mental illness but one is you know and there's controversy clearly about the etiology of personality disorders and whether there there can be biological or neurobiological constructs around that but generally with personality disorders we're talking about um, someone who has developed um, maladaptive interpersonal skills to say it mildly mm-hmm. um, versus maybe people who have, you know, neurochemical um, deficiencies that, that cause psychoses or depression or mania. Um, so even the etiology is different. And the reason why that is important is because we, we tend to um, blend mental illness into disorders. They're called personality disorders for a reason. And yes, there, there's a mental health and a mental illness component to that, but they're, they're very distinct from like what you're talking about, Shannon, which is the, the access one, which are more cognitive and, and neurobiological, at least, you know, mm-hmm. in theory, as we know. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, there, I think it's such an important, conversation that we're having because the majority of people who hear about school shootings or um, post-traumatic stress, you know, they'll, they'll link those two together often. And, you know, a perfect example is the way that post-traumatic stress has been represented in, in society is someone with PTSD is violent. And that is, could not be more untrue. Now, a person with post-traumatic stress could become violent if they felt that there was a perceived sense of, intrusiveness or fear happening to them, they are likely going to react um, and they may react violently, but they are not actively getting up and walking into a bar and shooting people up because they are most of the time terrified to leave their own damn home. So what, what happens in those situations is we're mistaking a, a mental illness with a mental disorder at that time, because I would argue to say that the, a lot of times the people who go in and shoot up bars and things like that, are complicated with mental disorders as well. So it, it, this is this is a conversation I think that we have to have more often, not just on podcasts or, you know, it, within our field, we know this, but I think it's something that, you know, the news loves to jump to mental illness mm-hmm. when there's been a shooting. And it's like, whoa, you have just stigmatized so many people and people with schizophrenia, again, no research that says they're any more dangerous than anybody else unless they have, you know, some sort of uh, persecutory um, or, or 
you know, a hallucination that's having them command a command. Thank you. A command auditory hallucination that's telling them to do something because if they do it, then it's going to relieve the devil from a blah, blah, blah. Okay. And that is such a small percentage of people with schizophrenia. And when medicated, and I've worked with these people when medicated, they are not violent. So it's a really, really, I mean, we horror as much as you and I love it a lot of horror and this is changing and we'll talk about this in the episode today uh has exploited mental illness versus mental disorders yep i think it's an important distinction thank you for that Mm -hmm. um i now i don't believe that i don't believe that filmmakers are necessarily mindfully and willfully attempting to harm or misrepresent the mentally ill that's not like where I'm going with this. <laughs> I just think it's, they're making a product. They're having a lot of fun. Most likely they have a great idea. They're executing it. They're creators and they're not necessarily going the route of educating themselves. And thus sometimes there's an ignorance to that. And by ignorant, I just mean the very nature of the word, which is, I just don't know about that kind of thing. Yeah. And I also think that, and we've talked about this on other episodes as well is the way that people over time and even history. And we're going to talk about the alienist next week, which is a really good way to even segue into this more specifically is, you know, explanation for craziness Mm -hmm. before was someone must be mentally ill, right? Because if we have all of our faculties, you know, so that it, that explains evil and danger and, you know, and that is just such a small, small, small portion of mental health. Yeah. Or population, I should say. When you're looking at creating something that's very dramatic and that people want to watch and it's the most dramatic situation ever, of course, it's going to be the most violent, the most um, like on the spectrum, rare. You know, it's why there's movies about uh, dissociative disorders, uh, um, multiple identities, you know, the old DID movies. Um it's why there are these movies about, you know, Joker and American Psycho. And mm-hmm. it's why there's a fascin- fascination with true crime and serial killers. And a lot of the stuff that we talk about on the show is because it's the it's the rarest, most misunderstood. It's the thing you don't have in your life. Most people just don't have it in their life. And so I get it. It's like we're obviously interested in it, but we also are obviously coming from a place where we want to talk about it. Um So one of the things we wanted to start with was kind of talking about how uh, mental illness and mental disorders were represented in the past and then sort of move how they were represented and how they're more represented in the present. So, Yeah, I I mean, I think it's pretty common knowledge to think about mental health portrayal in horror films. The old school version of that is, um, you know, mental illness is perceived as dangerous, deterministic, homicidal. Um, you know, so when we look at, uh, the way that it's perceived in the seventies and eighties and not in most of the nineties is, you know, this is, this is who you are. Um, this is who you will always be. You are, uh, you know, dangerous. You are sick. You are crazy. Uh, it, it certainly made for very terrifying horror films. In fact, I think it's why the 70s and 80s did so well because mental illness and the way it was represented at that time um, was done so grotesquely and it was so gratuitous 
that it it was it it hadn't been done before. So we have, I mean, we can even go back even further to Norman Bates in Psycho, which I think is 60s, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, we have um, mental illness that really symbolized the shadow side. We've talked about the shadow a lot in here. So symbolize the shadow side. Mental illness was that dark, sick place that you didn't want to go to. It was, um, you know, mutually exclusive with the shadow side. Uh, lack of impulse control. The primitive side, the reptilian brain, the unconscious drives, utter destruction. So if you were mentally ill, you were sick, you were crazy, you were dark, you were evil, um, and you were senseless. Mm -hmm. And we have Halloween, we have Michael Myers. You know, he starts off in Haddonfield in, in the insane asylum. Mm -hmm. So there's a link between mental health and violence inaccurate portrayal of, of mental health facilities and people found insane, by the way. Um, I already talked about Norman Bates and the way they, they represented disassociative identity disorder. Leatherface, who was influenced by Ed Gein, and there's a lot of mental health stuff there. We, we had a whole episode, so we can refer people to that episode. The Shining. We have a recovering alcoholic who begins hallucinating and becomes violent. The Shining is one of the worst ones. <laughs> one of the absolute, you know, and, it, and it, one of my favorite horror yeah. movies. <laughs> and emphasizes, and you know, here's clearly a guy who's in recovery. So he's already an alcoholic, so marginalized, and then begins hallucinating, marginalized, becomes violent, stereotype. Mm -hmm. And then we have Hannibal Lecter, who's the, the, you know, based off a novel, but the movie came out in the 90s. Uh, criminally insane. If you're criminally insane, you are a cannibal and you are sadistic and relentless and brilliant. I mean, at least they made him brilliant. Well, right? they keep talking about how he's been diagnosed as psychotic and I'm like, yes. diagnosed as psychotic? Yeah, he no. can't be diagnosed as psychotic. No, that's not even diagnosis. So, and then we, we can go back to the 1920s, which was really the original. So the movie, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. So this is the first portrayal of asylum inmates so it was a 1920s film noir German horror film, and it's known to be really the first portrayal of using, um, you know, inmates, in quotations I use, we don't really call them that anymore, of an asylum. And, um, you know, you find out, sorry, I, I might give this away, but you find out it's all in his mind in the end, right, that he's created all this. So um, diagnoses were one-dimensional without any context, you were just crazy. We didn't know anything other than Michael. We knew about Michael's background. We knew it said some context there, limited. But people, we didn't know anything about Leatherface's, we don't have a case conceptualization, no. you know? No, um, I mean, one of the things when you talk to people, um, and we're going to have uh, an episode actually about the Michael Myers universe coming up here in October for Halloween, for our Halloween celebration of, you know, the whole Halloween universe. And what's so interesting is that a lot of the fans that I talk to of Halloween, a lot of them are, they really don't want him to be, they really don't want Michael Myers to be psychological in any way. No, they want him to be pathologically evil. I mean, I get that that's like funner in the movies kind of thing, <laughs> but they, but the whole first movie is all psychology. Yeah, it is. And yet you talk to fans and it's like, no, he just needs to be a senseless killer that has no brain and right. no, so we'll just no call motivation. that insane. We'll just call that insane. And then they get mad at the later movies 
for having psychology and like, you know, some of the reinventions of Halloween has the psychology in it mm-hmm. and has his history and his childhood. I'm like the whole first movie, the whole foundation for the franchise is all psychological. Now, right. whether you agree or not with the terms they use and the different things that happen, that's one thing, but it's like, it is psychological. Very much. Um, and the last thing I'll say is a lot of the tropes at that time were lonely, isolated, suicidal, and homicidal. So I think that that really depicts, unless you want to add anything, that that that's our old school horror, mm-hmm. which definitely made it darker and scarier. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I think a, a few, a couple of the themes which I'll just th- throw in is it's like, and the, and we get a lot of this now, but sort of the the fear and mistrust of the mental health practitioner. Oh right? my gosh! So the therapist, anybody working in a psych hospital—that's like American Horror Story season two Any, asylum. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Although I like that. Because, no, but the, yeah. that depiction yes. of oh my god, yeah, like talk about demonic and evil and that everyone is out to get you and strap you down and hurt you. And it's like, just like the invisible man this right. year. I mean, right. the, the fear and mistrust of the mental health um, person and system, I think it's more of the system. And then the system is represented in whatever individual they have playing. Like even in the Joker, they have that social worker, mm-hmm. although, although she's portrayed a little bit more compassionately yeah, I, I in think- later scenes, but still I get it. Old versus new, too, we have a different type of um, problematic representation. So, like, in the old school, it was they were going to give you a lobotomy and chain you up and destroy you and kill you. And in the the newer horror, Mm -hmm. um, now it's more so sociocultural context, um, not acknowledging narcissistic abuse or someone who's coming out of an emotionally exploitative relationship and and is actually not crazy or delusional but has undergone an incredible amount of trauma and how clinicians to this day and i talk about this a lot i teach an abuse course at sc um and i i talk to my students a lot about 95 percent of the abuse cases you will see unless you work in in specific areas where you see a lot of physical abuse is going to be emotional abuse and being able to recognize that otherwise you are perpetuating that trauma by not recognizing that someone is really not delusional they've just undergone complex post-traumatic stress for 25 years of their effing lives. They're not crazy. So I think we're seeing more of that. And we're seeing that in Jordan Peele's movies with um, the sociocultural context in, in get out uh, um, and the way that, you know, people of color are used and how um, culturally encapsulated therapists don't do their work in recognizing you work with people differently depending on context. And so I think we're seeing that a lot more now in horror films now. Yeah, because cultural competency in our field has become uh, a buzzword, but also a something that you have to have, or at least you have to be, um, you don't ever really have it. I don't, I don't believe that. You strive for you're it. You strive for it. Yeah. You're working towards it. Right. You're you're stepping in shit and being called out on it and then and then and learning it. And, and owning it, it. and yeah. saying and saying I'm this, I'm that and I need to work on this and that. And, and instead of simply um, looking at hallucinations because I think this is what happens in most of our media is that it's the symptoms. They don't necessarily say they don't necessarily indicate that someone is mentally ill in something. But what they do is they portray symptoms of mental illness, um, hallucinations, this kind of thing. So then what the culture does is then the culture is left to 
come up with their own answer about that. And the culture says, oh, someone's having hallucinations. They must be crazy. And thus, and what, what word do I know associated with what I think crazy is? And I think crazy is schizophrenic. Right. And so they make these jumps, these leaps. Insane. Through logic that it's like, oh, crazy people are schizophrenic. And so, and all crazy people have hallucinations. You know, there's just like these, and I get it. Nobody, you know, you don't have to know all this. I'm not saying that. It's just that this is how the film and television industry inform that cultural perception. Because, you know, um, in in Latin cultures, uh, there's magical realism. They hallucinate. They they yep. they talk to the dead. They hallucinate things all the time. It's not. Um, and when you're assessing someone, you take into consideration their culture and their cultural norms. And you don't diagnose someone with schizophrenia on one symptom. That's right. I think a lot of people don't know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a constellation of things. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of nuance to it mm-hmm. that we won't go down that hole right, right now. But so the other the other two, I think, big themes that have come up in modern horror is the way that we pathologize uh, grief, loss and depression. Mm-hmm. And I think that two films that did, did this really well and I think so intensely and you already know that one of these is. I think one of the best horror films that's come out in the last five years is the Babadook mm-hmm. where um, it's really about grief following a woman coping with death um, and unresolved grief and how the monster is sort of this representation of her pain. And then the other one is hereditary um, and it emphasizes how others characterized her grief as paranoia. So, you know, people's reaction to mental illness, if they don't, have one or they've never been through something is you know stop being hysterical you're being paranoid um this idea that it's perceived fear or perceived anxiety when in actuality it is that person's experience and and there are practitioners who will will do this as well but it's mostly people who don't work in the field or have never experienced it and so people's responses to it to um you know distress which is really what trauma is it's not the event it's the response to the event can can be over pathologized oh and yeah. and so i think we're seeing more drawing more awareness the difference is in modern horror is there's this third eye that's letting the the audience know this is how the characters are perceiving it we're not telling the story that way we're actually showing you look at how they're looking at her depression and how that's very different because in the past it would be we actually see it that way too and she's crazy because she's sad mm-hmm. you know yeah you bring up an interesting thing it makes me flash on um joker representations mm-hmm. right so from a comic book from our cultural mythology so meant to be uh, over the top obviously and dramatic so um outlier kind of personality stuff and I think there's a really interesting distinction between um, Heath Ledger's Joker, and I know that someone wrote that script and made that film, and it's not just Heath, right? But for the for the sake of brevity, Heath Heath's Joker and Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. So um, Heath Ledger's Joker, they never directly indicate that he's mentally ill, and in some ways, for some populations. That is an that is a better pill to swallow. In other words, they there is not as much marginalized feeling mm-hmm. around that particular psychopath. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. let's say. And with Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, they and we had a whole episode on it, which I enjoyed that movie very much, and I definitely enjoyed our discussion of it. They direct, you know, it is directly mental illness yeah. and a mental disorder that they're right. addressing. And so that movie is more controversial in that way, I think, to the mental um, health community because they directly indicate his mental illness and that his violence, et cetera, is a part of that. So, but all that to say, the reason why I thought of it was because you were talking about um, depression because what I felt about Joaquin Phoenix's Joker was that he was PTSD a lot, had PTSD, had major depression, Mm -hmm. And also had access to, you know, also had personality right. disorders. No, he was complex for that sure. were that were complicating his depression and trauma. Right. Um. So, as a as a as a therapist, it was a very interesting deep dive because it, the industry, the mental health industry, was represented there too. Mm-hmm. All of the different issues. There was a. It's a very complex diagnosis they were presenting. And it's the first time I think they've also accurately portrayed um, and accurately diagnosed narcissistic personality disorder with the mother. Because I think sometimes we, again, in colloquial versions of this disorder, it's someone who's overtly arrogant. And, you know, there's this idea that narcissism is just arrogance. They don't realize that there's Mm -hmm. so much more to it than that. Or self-absorption. Or or (laughs) self-absorption. And this mother's desperate need for mirroring and and creating this idea of her son and how deeply damaging that was and how every I mean she was self absorbed but in a in a very covert narcissistic way mm-hmm. and so I loved that we finally saw a different side to that disorder as well because I think most people who are not in the industry or maybe who are and don't right. work a lot in personality right. disorders maybe didn't look at her that way right. where we certainly were like narcissist oh, hello. <laughs> And and we also know what happens with when you have a narcissistic parent and right. all of the indications of that. And so, again, like I understand that people who debate this topic quite a bit see the difference between those jokers. Right. And the, the, the Heath Ledger joker is more palatable because it doesn't really take on the topic, whereas the Joaquin Phoenix version of the Joker takes on the mental health topic and really efforts to have a representation. Now, yes, granted, does it, does it, um, like amplify the idea that all mentally ill people become violent when pushed? It amplifies that. It absolutely does. Is that a total outlier of behavior? You bet. Right. So like I, I both enjoyed the movie, enjoy the topic and conversation around it and some of the mental health representations. And I acknowledge that those are extreme and they don't do good things for the mentally ill as a whole. But that is because that is because of our own ignorance. That is not because of a filmmaker. Right. But I also know that films are incredibly influential over the culture. So you see my dialectic. You yeah. see that no, both are 100%, true. No, 100%, because these are the, this is the same argument we can have around violent video games create violent people. You know, it's in that same, it's like, well, okay, do we, do we blame the video game 
or do we blame the nurturing of that child and not being able to distinguish Right. So when we think about these films that are made and we could really get into, you know, censorship and how much should, you know, then it's this slippery slope and all this stuff that's going on. But I think we're going to continue to make horror films, but I also think it's our responsibility uh, in our country or even globally to accurately represent mental health. So when people go watch these films they can make that distinction just like the little kid playing that violent video game does not think that he can walk outside or she can walk outside and just blow somebody up and steal their car. Yeah. There's 65 other things that have to be true. Right. For that to happen. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. <laughs> right. But there are 60. It's like what we I mean, from day one. Well, maybe not day one, but what we've moved into talking about on a regular basis is like it's a holistic thing. Right. It's not a black and white thing. That's there right. are 65 other qualities that have to, like like a Hellraiser cube, have to move together to make an explosion like that. And, yep. you know. Yep. Okay, I'm going to get off that particular <laughs> I feel like I've been ranting a bit. We both have. I know. I just, like, sat well, back I mean, in my chair are, and I'm like, okay. Think, well, and <laughs> to, to go back to the point you just made. Continue about to rant. The, sure. No, the dialectic pieces. These are two areas that clearly you and I are passionate about and why we made the podcast. So I think it's an important conversation to have because we love horror and I don't anticipate that ever changing. No. But we also acknowledge that the way that mental health in general, not just in horror, in society, through media, through news outlets, through bullshit theories um, that are not, you know, empirically supported that mental health is stigmatized. So when we turn it into a form of entertainment and we are unable to distinguish truth from fiction, um, then, you know, we have a real problem because then it does perpetuate. If people knew more about mental health, uh, then we could continue to make these films and people could go, okay, suspension of disbelief. Now, clearly we know a schizophrenic patient or someone with schizophrenia isn't going to act this way. But unfortunately, mental health has been so incredibly stigmatized that Mm -hmm. most people believe this at face value. Yeah, so that's really what we're talking about and what we... um, I I just... This topic is so important and I also love how it just fits into the way I see psychology and what I talk about with clients and people all the time is the dialectic is that both things can be true. Yep. So often I will say to someone, I, I feel your tension in that tension of the opposite ideas that are in your head, the tension of the opposites that are happening for you in your emotions right now. And and they want to they want one or the other to be true, mm-hmm. and it's both, and and I think this topic is like that. We love horror movies. We love media. We want you to keep making it, and I'm okay with you making it about quote unquote crazy people, and I'm okay with you being you know Joaquin Phoenix and Joker, and it's so thick and rich and wonderful to talk about, and. I'm aware that our culture needs more education on this topic. So there's that. Um, what, did you want to say something more about like the present time or did we cover No, I mean, that? I kind of covered it. I talked about hereditary. Babadook. I, I, I think the take home point for modern horror is there. I would say that there is a overall 
um, understanding now that it's, how do I say this? I'm trying to articulate this in a way that it makes sense. There's an overall understanding that the story, the way it's being told now is not necessarily the director's or creator's idea. It's, it's more, it's layered with the director's showing that the way the character right. is portraying the sick person right. is is off base. Right. Where in the past it would be the director would go, I know exactly how to you know make <laughs> this person crazy, and there was no awareness around. Wow, that's really fucked up. Yeah, like it took itself very seriously. <laughs> yeah. Well, now where you have the Jordan Peels, yeah, and you have Invisible Man, where the director is explicitly saying. We're actually now portraying the person who's perceiving the bad guy as worse than the bad guy. Yes, and they will actually have what uh, one big difference I see too is that they'll actually have, and this is what we do in story, is they'll actually have a character that represents the person who's marginalizing them. Yes, that's you know? that's better. That's way what to you're say saying. Yeah. I yeah, think yeah, that's yeah. what you're saying yeah. is that they'll they'll have that representation of. Uh, racism or bias or um, marginalized, marginalizing the mentally ill. Um, and they'll have that character who is that person so that the audience can say, Ugh, I, I want to be more aware than that. Right. I, I want to be smarter than that guy, <laughs> even though they might not be, even though we might be watching and totally like rooting and going. And then, and then there's a character who's so vile mm-hmm. and so, um, bias and horrible and we go oh and then we see the reflection yeah. and we say oh we don't want to be that person That's right. <laughs> yeah right gotcha so just more awareness and i think it's a it's a it's a great way to continue making these films so at the end people can go oh okay so that was still really scary but we're also not justifying that person's point of view right yeah i mean i think there's been some it's not that so there's a a lot of discussion around sort of which movies did it well, which movies did it wrong. And I I personally I don't want to get into a a list making situation of like oh well this film represented mental illness in a healthy way or right. a right way and these things these projects represented it in a terrible way or a marginalizing way because at the end of the day, I am a film fan <laughs> and a TV fan. And I actually don't, I don't want to rake people over the coals for that. So oh, there's a lot of lists like that around. Yeah. <laughs> you can literally Google like mental representation in film and you'll yep. get all of these articles and all these YouTube channels around like, here's the ones that did it right. And here's the ones that did it wrong. And I'm sort of not into that. Do I watch things like... 13 Reasons Why, the television show, and see why it's so controversial around Mm -hmm. suicide? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. And a lot of people disagreed with the way things were represented in that In 13 Reasons Why? Yeah. Yeah, I'm one of them. And so... And and so I get it. (laughs) Like, and I understand. And having assessed people for suicidality for many years now... I understand why there is controversy. Do I believe that those creators set out to, you know, send the mental illness community into an uproar or hurt people or have, you know, no, 
I don't think there was an intention around that. Yeah. But like you said, it's, it was, it was not a good one. I think, <laughs> I think uh, for me, because I've worked with teenagers, um, it was one of those series that made suicide look like a weighted choice. Oh, it was so um, rough to watch. And I also think it, it misrepresented someone who is truly suicidal. If yep. you, if you can operationally define that, but if you work, with high risk people, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And I actually had a teenager I was working with at the time who had been suicidal a number of times while she was with me and how triggering and how awful that series was for her and how much we would talk about it because she found it so incredibly offensive because it did such a poor job and it, and it really over pathologized. Yeah. I, I had a lot of reactions to it and probably because I was working with a lot of teens at that time. And I was like, man, this is just not good TV. It's not, it's not. And you and I have, you know, that same experience. I mean, when I worked on the crisis team, it was for children and adolescents. I was literally assessing only children and adolescents for psychiatric hospitalization, usually for uh, suicidal risk. So I hear you. Yeah. Again, back to my original statement, I don't want to get into lists, even though I brought that up. But I bring it up because I absolutely understand how, like, divisive these projects can be. But I'm not saying, like, don't watch 13 Reasons Why because it's not an accurate representation of reality. I'm saying watch 13 Reasons Why if you think it's an entertaining piece of fiction that doesn't trigger you in so many ways that it becomes intolerable and you get incensed like it did Kathy and I, right? (laughs) Like the trigger warnings are real, you know, that this, this is a product that will make you really unhappy. Yeah. And then there are products that can actually be quite comforting, right? For, so that's kind of the way I look at it. Not that, not like, oh, this is bad and this is good. Yeah. I'm trying and I'm not perfect at this at all. As if, you know, if you're a regular listener, you'll know, because I've probably said lots of things that contraindicate what I'm going to say now. But I try, I really try hard to look at it like, okay, something like the Sharp um, Object series on HBO right now, or the perks of being a wallflower. And this is not horror related. I get that. Or, you know, an you know, a movie, Mr. Nobody, like all those kinds of movies that I believe are very interesting and even, even accurate depictions of, you know, depression, different Mm -hmm. things. I'm saying like, I feel like those kinds of projects are comforting to people who are actually struggling with those. Oh my gosh. I mean, I have, you know, notes here about that's one thing it has done in a more positive way is nor if it's done well, yeah, is it normalizes things like bipolar disorder, depression, OCD. There you go. Um, most, Great word. Normalizes. Yep. Mostly in, in regular films, not as much in horror, but in like dramas do a better job. You know, when you think of like Silver Linings Playbook. Yes, yes, yes. Right? Yes. When you look at movies like that, if it's a non-horror film and they're not trying to scare the crap out of you, right. then it has certainly, even if it's uncomfortable, it's allowed people to go, okay, 
you know, there's real suffering here. And right. So, and that's <clears throat> kind of, I guess, uh, one of the reasons why I brought it up is because I wanted to make the distinction between, you know, today we're really talking about mental health representation in horror films, and that is often, you know, the psychotic killers is is yeah. really what what it comes down to, and also the mental health practitioners that are out to get you. Like that's another, yes. that's another trope. But yeah. I want to make the distinction of there is a lot of media that comforts represents um makes it clear that whatever like can can help you in these times i don't necessarily believe and now this is going to be controversial statement that the horror genre is necessarily the genre you want to turn to no when you're (laughs) absolutely not when you're wanting to be seen what is what is someone who's you know uh found not guilty by reason of insanity <laughs> yeah look like. that comforts me yeah that's not um, going to be in a horror film so i don't know you know people might disagree with me on that and that is fine we will get that kind of hate for that for that statement and that's perfectly reasonable yeah horror we've certainly talked a lot about how horror is psychologically uh good stuff um, it helps us work out a lot of things. But in this particular moment in time, I believe it's very difficult to find horror films that comfort you in those moments. But again, the distinction that I was making earlier between, you know, a Heath Ledger Joker and a, and a Joaquin Phoenix Joker is the, is the difference. In other words, I think that even in horror, um, people who are advocating for the proper treatment of the mentally ill are wanting the it to be person first centered in other words it's a person the character is a person even though it's a fictional person it's a person first and that their mental health isn't exploited now that sounds super but that's a complicated thing to do in a story that you're trying to make dramatic and sell tickets to so i don't know what to tell you (laughs) I think you've you've said a lot. <laughs> Have you said what you wanted to say on the issue? Yeah. Okay. I'm looking through, there's um. Have we there's, ranted there's a couple, enough? There's a couple good articles. Um, yeah, there's a know, great, some great articles. One, actually, there's one I'm looking at right now called "Horror Movies and the Exploitation of Mental Illness," mm-hmm. done in April 2018. Is that so, Megan? Um, yeah. Megan's Venom. article. Yeah, mm-hmm. Megan Bayham. I think it's maybe pronounced. Ba- yeah, horror movies Venom, and the. I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Horror movies and the exploitation of mental illness. It's a really good one, actually. So yeah. maybe I'll find it and try to post it somewhere. I'll certainly post it in our Discord, which we haven't talked about today, but opening season three here, and we hope you enjoyed the topic. One of the things that we're doing is we've got new merchandise. So contact us via. Um, mugs and shirts people (laughs) mugs and shirts it was just super fun and the little bit of dollars we might make on them would really help us uh, invest more into the podcast it would help us out a lot go to our instagram check out the pictures and then if you need something either through instagram or through email and then also uh, we have a discord channel that is for our patrons only so if you want to check us out on patreon.com it's terror talk podcast And if you become a patron for as little as $5 a month, you become part of the Discord, and there's some other stuff on there Mm -hmm. that you would get. So, man, I'm excited. Season three. Season three. I'm so excited. And it's actually the first day I've seen Kathy in a long time. So we're having a good time, and we really appreciate your patronage of our 
show. This has been the Mental Health Representation in Horror Films. This has been Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Terror Talk. Please check out our Patreon page, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We'd love to engage with you as part of our community. Please take a moment to leave us a comment on any of our social media. Thank you so much for listening. And once again, sleep safe.